morning, everyone. In case you don't know, um, I'm Jonah Rhodes, and Joshua, or Pastor Joshua, asked me to preach today since he's gone. So, I was talking with a friend uh, earlier this week, and we were talking about the way we approach the Word of God. And we were trying to come up with examples of how um, to not approach the Word of God and how to approach the Word of God. So we were talking, and we decided it was like a chicken and an egg. A lot of times we approach the Word of God like the egg coming to the chicken and and saying, chicken, let me sit on you and warm you. And, of course, the observer looks and the egg never moved. It was the chicken who came to the egg. And the chicken wants to warm the egg. In the same way, we come to the Word of God so often saying, let me input my own thoughts into the Word of God. Let me read this and let me see what I think about it, rather than than coming to the Word of God and saying, let me read the Word of God and see what God thinks about it. Let me read the Word of God and see what God has for me. Because after all, I didn't bring the Word of God to myself. There's nothing I can do with the Word of God. God brought the Word of God to me. And so this morning, I'd like you to consider this question and ask yourself, how do I come to the Word of God? And then I'd also like to ask you to ask yourself, um, do I really believe what I say about the Word of God? Do I really believe that the Word of God is the Word of God? We'll talk a little bit about that this morning. But first, let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us here this, this morning. Thank you for your Word. I pray that you would teach us, that you would open our hearts and our minds to understand and to hear what you would tell us. And let us leave here today, Lord, changed by your word and by your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So turn with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 14. Paul's speaking to Timothy, a young pastor in Corinth, and he's encouraging him to preach the word and to teach. And he says, starting in verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the first thing I want to notice here is in verse 16, that all scripture is breathed out by God. Some translations may say inspired by God, um, but the, the literal Greek is breathed out by God, literally the breath of God. Um, I want to read to you Second uh, Peter 1, 20-21, which kind of talks about this from a, a different aspect here. Peter says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
So I want to talk about a few implications of this being the word of God. And please note that I'm not going to cover all of them because we would be here for the rest of our lives. Um, but I'm going to cover three that I think are the most important for this passage. Three uh, reasons that it's important that Paul starts with this phrase before talking about the uses of Scripture. First, Scripture, the Word of God, is true and faithful, and it's therefore trustworthy. First John 5.20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, and his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. God is true. God is faithful. And if that's really the case, then the word that he speaks is true, and the word that he speaks is faithful. David said of God and his word in 2 Samuel seven twenty-eight, And now, O Lord, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Again, he says, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And in another place, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. And, and this is where, again, I ask you to question, do you actually believe the word is true? Because I'm sure most of us here would say, yes, I believe the word is true. I'm sure most of us would say, absolutely, it's completely inerrant. The word of God is infallible. Very few doctrinal statements don't include those words. Um, but do you really believe that it's true? Do your actions toward the word of God and as a result from the word of God reveal that you actually believe it's true? I was A couple years ago, I was challenged by a, a certain theological topic. And um, I, I realized that I was wrong and there was a different... Uh, explanation or that was right. Um, but in that process that took about two years or so, I realized that I was approaching this topic from an intellectual standpoint, saying that I can reason it out. And I had all the logical reasonings. I had it all laid out. But then I realized that it didn't match with Scripture. And I noticed that even though I claimed that I believed Scripture was infallible, that Scripture was true, I didn't actually believe it because I was still putting my own mind before Scripture. If Scripture is completely true, it should influence our intellect and everything that we think about. It should be the basis for our logic. Secondly, I'd like you to notice that Scripture, the Word of God, is complete and eternal and therefore worthwhile. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. There's nothing lacking to God's words. How could we add to God's words? They're already complete. They're already true. But how often do we come to God's word and try to add to it and say, well, you know, this is what he's saying. And we extrapolate and we say, these are the missing parts of the story. God didn't miss part of the story. It's all in there. It's all perfect. Psalm 119, 142 through 144 says, Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. 
Give me understanding that I may live. In Matthew 24, 35, this is really important to listen to. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The word of God's eternal, and so it's worthwhile. Most of the things that we know here today will pass away. And so what, what worth of it? Our bodies will die. Everything's going to decay. Uh, heaven and earth itself will pass away. What matters is those eternal things that God has given us in our life. Um, what matters is the relationships that we build with each other and with God that will last once we're gone, once heaven and earth has passed away. And one of these things that God has given us that's eternal, that will last forever, is the word of God. And so it's worthwhile for us to study it. It's worthwhile for us to open it up and to read it and to see what God has to say because we're going to carry that into eternity forever. And that's such an amazing gift that God has given us. I love to see God's love toward us in all of that and how he would look on us who will perish and us who should perish and say, I love you so much, I'm going to give you something that will last forever. Thirdly, Scripture, the Word of God, is pure and righteous and therefore useful. Psalm 119, 137, Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. Psalm 19, 9 says, The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And Psalm 12, 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Seven in the Bible is, most of us probably know, uh, the perfect number. It designates perfection. Creation was complete in seven days. God made everything in six, and then the seventh day was created for rest, to rest in, in God. Um, So the word is pure. It's like silver refined in a furnace seven times. It's refined to perfection. There's absolutely no flaws. There's no impurities left. So because it's righteous, because it lasts forever, because it's completely true, it's useful for us. We can use it uh, for something. God has given it to us for a purpose not just to study, not just to carry on for eternity, not just because it's true, but there's a use, there's a purpose for it. And that's what we'll uncover in the next verses here. Um, before we do that, I want to talk a little bit, a little bit about the word profitable. Uh, in Greek, it's ophelimos, which generally means helpful. So the word of God is helpful. It denotes something of value, not because of its scarcity or inerrant value, but because it's of its usefulness. So the word of God is useful and valuable to us because we can use it, because it has a purpose for our lives here today on earth. So notice what Paul says the word of God is profitable or useful for. The first thing he says is teaching. This, is in, this word is not a verb. It's pretty easy to take it this way. Um, the word of God is profitable to teach or is proper, profitable uh, for helping the teacher teach or something like that. But no, the word is a noun. 
and it it's referring to what is being taught. It's referring to doctrine. So the word of God is useful for establishing true doctrine or theology uh, or even philosophy. And this is really we, where we get down to some of those questions that I asked you earlier. Does the word of God determine your doctrine? Is the word of God the complete basis for theology, or do you keep throwing in your own mindsets? Do you keep adding to the word of God to make up your doctrine or to make up your theology? And most of us would probably say in general that we base our theology on the word of God, but do we actually? How many things, how many times have you been confronted with scripture and, and gone, oh, that's what that is really like, and I was wrong? If you were wrong, then you were basing your doctrine or theology on yourself, or maybe on another person, but not the Word of God. Psalm 119, 97 through uh, verse 104. Turn there if you want. I wanted to read all of Psalm 119, but I felt like it was a little bit long. So... You should go home and read it. Starting in verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for, you, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. The psalmist here is, is looking at the word of God as his, his teacher, his perfect understanding. And that that's, leads me to my next point about teaching. And God is a perfect teacher. God knows everything about you. He knows where you sit when you lie down. He knows your thoughts. He knit you together in your mother's womb. There's nothing about you that God doesn't know. He knows every hair in your head. Now, a good teacher will look at a person and say, where, who is this person? How do they learn? Where are their weaknesses? How can I make them learn better? How can I make them into a better person? If God knows everything about you, then he can do that perfectly. If God knows exactly who you are, exactly how you think, how you learn, exactly what your weaknesses are, then he can teach you perfectly. And this is what David is pointing out, that when I'm taught by the word of God, I gain understanding beyond my teachers. When I'm taught by the word of God, I know more than anyone else can teach me because God knows everything. Even the smartest person in the world is stupid compared to God. There's so much in the world that we don't know, and yet God created it all. And we'll continue on until the world ends learning about the world. And the more we learn, the more we learn we don't know. But God knows it all. God made it all. And so it's really important to understand that if you want wisdom, if you want teaching, if you want to understand things, ask God and he'll give it to you. Solomon was the wisest man in the world because 
he asked God for wisdom. And the interesting thing is, is you have access to that wisdom of Solomon because it came from God. It came from the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians, how it's impossible for the natural man to understand the word of God. But we have, we as Christians, we as believers in Christ have the mind of Christ. We have the Holy Spirit who can reveal these things to us. So why don't we just open up the Bible and read it and let God teach us? The second thing that Paul says the word of God is useful for is for reproof. Hebrews, well, let me point out also, reproof can be conviction. It can be a rebuking. So Hebrews 4, 12 through 13 says, For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Scripture sees through everything perfectly. God knows everything about you. So his word does too. It sees through your facades. It sees through who you think you are. It sees, sees through and pierces right to your heart, right to the root of the matter. So when you open up scripture, you should be convicted. And there's times when you'll be rebuked in scripture because we're not perfect people, because we're not holy. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. Remember that the reproof of the word of God is gentle. It's out of love. Because God sees you as a son or a daughter and wants to make you holy. You're not holy. You're filthy. But God loves you enough that he wants to make you holy. And so he gives you his word to reprove you, to rebuke you of the filth and unholiness in your life. So don't reject it, but receive that rebuke. Receive that conviction with joy, knowing that God is disciplining you as a son. It talks about in Hebrews, if you are not being disciplined by God, then you should really question your relationship with him, your salvation, because you're not being taught by him. Any good teacher is going to tell his student they're wrong, and the student is going to be wrong. You're learning. That's part of the process. And if a teacher doesn't tell you that you're wrong, then he's a bad teacher. And as we talked about earlier, God is a perfect teacher. So there must come with teaching reproof. The third point Paul makes is the word of God is for correction. The word for correction means straightening up again or rectification, reformation. It denotes straightening out what is crooked. It's related to orthodontics, straightening out your teeth. So once we've present, been presented with this true doctrine of the word of God, this true teaching, once we see it, 
Once we've established the doctrine, the theology, we have it. We should be convicted. And once we're convicted, though, we should be corrected. We should change. And the Word of God doesn't leave us to languish in that conviction, but provides a solution. It gives us a way out, if you will. Proverbs 29.1 says, He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. I hope you take this as a severe warning to take the word of God seriously. When you're convicted by the word of God, when the word of God reproves you and rebukes you, take it seriously. Don't reject it. Because just as much as the word of God is eternal and has eternal ramifications and is therefore worthwhile, our rejection of that is eternal as well. And what are we to do when we stand before the, the throne of God and God says, I gave you my word and what did you do with it? You threw it away. And a lot of us are guilty of that, even though, you know, we might listen most of the time, but how many times do we read, read something and go, oh, wait, I don't think so. And we, we step away from it. And we ignore it. Maybe we flip to a different passage Maybe we say, that's not for me right now. That's for someone else. Or how often do we sit in sermons and think, I wish so-and-so was here. This is such a great sermon for them. The word of God is, is for you. Pay attention. Second Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Pay attention to your grief, too. When you're met with conviction, what does your grief look like? Are you just completely broken and lost in your sin and you have no hope? Some people are. The result is suicide or other things. But make sure your grief is godly. It's the kind of grief that that when you look at your sin, it makes you want to be more like God. You're grieved that you're not like God. You're grieved that you're not holy as he is holy because he wants you to be holy. He says, you shall be holy as I am holy. And so you're grieved because of that. You're grieved because your sin causes a separation between you and God. So what's your grief look like? And that should be your motivation for the correction. That should be your motivation to change. Not because of other people, not because well, you know, the pastor on Sunday told me I should change. Not because, well, my friends are good. Not because my boss says I should be better. You should be corrected because of godly grief. You should be corrected because you realize that your sin is directly prohibiting your relationship with God. And the final use that Paul provides for the word of God, is for training in righteousness. Um, And I personally think that this final one is more of a summary of the prior three. Um, It's partially based on the word for training, which refers to uh, teaching a child, educating a child, disciplining a child. It's a general process of raising someone or growing someone up. So, Maybe you've noticed, maybe you haven't, that these, the first three present this process. You need to be taught. You need to know what the Word of God says. You need to know what's right. You need to know what's wrong. 
Then the second part is you need to be convicted by that because you notice that you're wrong. The third part is you need to be corrected. You need to correct yourself. And it's all for training in righteousness. It's all for the purpose of making us holy as God is holy. So the word of God is useful for establishing true doctrine, correct, consistent theology. The word of God is useful for convicting us of our sin and bringing out the sin in our lives. And the word of God is useful for correcting that sin providing the solution in all the word of God is completely useful perfectly purposeful for training us to be righteous holy men and women of God so the fourth thing I'd like you to notice about this passage is why the word of God is useful for these things Ecclesiastes 12 13 and 14 says the end of the matter all has been heard Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. The author of Ecclesiastes, probably Solomon, um, went on a journey to figure out the purpose of life. What's the meaning of life? And he went through and realized that there isn't really any. It's pointless. And that's what most of us take out of Ecclesiastes. It's a depressing book. It tells us that life is pointless. It's all vanity, usefulness, I mean uselessness. But it's not at all what he's getting at. He's, he's saying that life is meaningless apart from God. And that's why the end of the matter, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. We will stand before that judgment throne. We will live in eternity. Some of us will live with God forever, and others will live in complete separation from God forever. So fear God and keep his commandments. And how do we know how to fear God? Read the Bible. How do we know what God's commandments are? Read the word. The word of God is efficient for guiding us in accomplishing our duty in this life to be holy as God is holy. So I'd like to end with this. What are we instructed to do? And that's where we go back to verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. To the Christian, I would say, pay attention to the word of God. Remember what you were taught. Remember where your salvation came from. When you come to the word of God, don't think like the egg. Oh, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you, God. I'm going to show you, God, what you're saying. That's what Satan said. I will ascend to heaven. I will ascend to the heights. But come to the word of God humbly and prayerfully, asking the Holy Spirit to teach you, willing to be taught. And meditate, meditate on it day and night. 
Let it influence every aspect of your life, every area. There's a, a huge idea in our culture that you know, church and state should be separated. Church and my job should be separate. And in some senses, that's true. But the word of God needs to influence every part of your life. You need to be an example of Christ just as much at church as you are at work or at school. It needs to influence your thought life. Your thoughts, your reasoning should not be so separated from the word of God that you see almost this dichotomy where, well, I can think about this and it leads me here, but if I read the word of God, it leads me there. They should work together in tangent, leading you to the same biblical godly conclusion. Now that takes effort, but it's much worthwhile. Remember the word of God's eternal. It has eternal ramifications. Philosophy and theology are not as much separated as we'd like to separate them. Philosophy and theology should go hand in hand. Just like I said, your mind and, the, and scripture should go hand in hand. The, theology and philosophy should go hand in hand. They're not separate sciences. They go together. Unfortunately, sin separates them, and we try to say, you know, philosophy goes this way and theology goes that way. Philosophy only goes this way if it's not based on doctrine, if it's not in tangent with theology. And it should be, because the Bible's completely true. This is what philosophy looks for. Every philosopher in the world has looked for this. So how many kings have spent treasuries and armies looking for truth? It's right here. We have it. So why do we spend so much time on our philosophy going this way when we have the word of God and we can use that thinking process, that logic, in tangent with the truth of God's word and go miles that way? Now, maybe you're in this room and you're not a believer. Maybe, maybe you don't believe in Christ. Maybe you don't believe the Bible's true. And I'm not here today to prove that the Bible is true to you. Um, that would take way too long as well. Not because it's difficult, but because there's so many different aspects to it. But I hope you can notice the significance of God's word. I hope if you can notice that this is what so many people in the world have put their trust in. This is the most popular book in the world. Why? You should answer that question. Why is it the most popular? Is it because it's emotionally stimulating? Is it because it's fun? Is it because we're just insane people who love reading this book that tells us we're dirty, rotten, filthy people? I would encourage you to find that out because the word of God, like Paul says here, is able to make you wise for salvation. Do you want to be saved? Do you want to have a relationship with God? Do you want to go beyond something in eternity? If so, read the word of God. Read it. Explore it. Find out what this is all about. Prove it. See. Ask. Is it actually wise to make you... For, is, does it, is it actually able to make you wise for salvation? So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts but receive the gift that God has given 
of salvation through the redemptive death of his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for your spirit, which reveals all things to us. I pray that you would continue to teach us today, Lord. I pray that if there's anyone here in this room that has not received your gift of salvation, that you would bring them to that, that your word would make them wise for salvation. I pray for all of us here who are believers, Lord, that you would encourage us to dig deeper, to really focus our thoughts and minds on your word, to meditate on it day and night. And let us leave changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.